This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. That can only mean one thing, Myron Metcalf. Pecking order time for like us it. to uh, to go through a list that we both came up with independently. Uh, and and in honor of Lindsay Whalen's announcement that she is retiring after this Lynx season, which came yesterday, if you did not hear about it, we are going to give you, and I'll start with you, top 10 Minnesota-born athletes that we have seen play either on television or in person. Now, this is important because if you go through this list, you could say, Chief Bender, man, he was a great Minnesota-born <laughs> yeah. athlete. And Bronco Nagurski and yeah. Bruce Smith won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, okay, that's fine, but we didn't see them play, and yeah. therefore we are simply would be simply guessing about their greatness and where they belong on this list. So, once again, just to be clear, for every listener out there, this is the top 10 Minnesota-born athletes that we have seen play. Let's start with you. Starting at number 10, give me your list. Well, and I want to include here, I got to Minnesota in 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, so my list may be a bit more modern. My honorable mention, I'll just say, I had to put one in there. Royce White is my honorable mention. Number 10, and maybe this is someone who people may not think deserves to be on this list, Chantrell Henderson, who... Ooh. One USA Today National Player of the Year, I believe, is the first offensive lineman to win that award. I went to a Creighton Durham Hall game when he was playing, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe they were playing Woodbury. And I watched him move an entire defense for four quarters. Like, like the the kid moved an entire defense by himself. He is the most dominant football player maybe to come out of this area in the last 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like, he he was just uh, immovable. Played Buffalo Bills, correct? Played Buffalo Bills, and now I believe he's with the Texans. Okay. Yeah, I believe he signed with the Texans recently. Okay. Number 10, Chantrell Henderson. Did that surprise you? No. No, 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 because you, you the the reason for the, the list being the best players you have seen is because I knew that, that you didn't get here until around 2000. So yeah. I think it's I think it's far more interesting to go through a list in which you, you actually have to think of guys you saw play, yeah. which which is why it bores me to go back to 1925. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's you. okay, yeah, that's fine. I can Google that. I'm with you. But no, in fact, um, it, it's funny that you bring him up because there was, and I don't remember this kid uh, kid's name to save my life, Myron. There was, when I was on the sports desk at the Star Tribune or an agate clerk, I got sent out to cover the, the, the old All-Star High School game, yeah. football game that was played in the summer. And I want to say Creighton had a kid, a left tackle, before Chantrell, probably 10 years before, huh. who, who was not as good. But I think he went to play for the Badgers. And okay. He, and he was pretty damn good. And I went and did a big story on the, this kid because you're like, man, this guy could be great. Yeah. I don't think he went on to a pro career, but it, it was the same thing. And then Chantrell came along and, and, and obviously upped the stakes and did go on to a National Football League career. Yeah. Special player. Mm-hmm. Who's that 10 for you? Number 10 for me. I'm actually going to go with Kent Herbeck. 
Okay. Bloomington Kennedy kid. Now, okay. now, if we're talking about attractive physiques, Ken Herbeck <laughs> wouldn't win this. But, but in fact, I was once told, and I didn't see this, but I was once told that uh, Herbeck was playing in a game for Bloomington Kennedy at the um, at the ballpark in Bloomington, not the Met, but the actual one that they played American Legion and High School ball at. And Herbeck hit a ball, and this was a mammoth ballpark. Okay, so this was not a small Babe Ruth type park. Herbeck hit a ball that they estimated went about four forty-five, five hundred feet. Wow! So Kent Herbeck, and Kent Herbeck too, was was a marvelous fielding first baseman, and he was one of these freaks who could just always hit. Like yeah. I bet if you put him in the batter's box today, still he could it. still hit. Yeah, still do it. So yes, he is number ten on my list. I like him. Number nine for you. Number nine uh, on my list is uh, someone who I, I went to a camp with this guy at the University of Minnesota, Marion Barber, the third. Mm-hmm. So I get to this camp at the University of Minnesota. I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a one star recruit. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool that the Gophers sent some of their veteran players to help out with this camp. And then this kid says, uh, I'm a junior in high school. <laughs> I said, hey, mama, um, you got to send me home, mom. I don't belong here. They got dudes here who look like 25-year-olds claiming they're juniors in high school. It was Marion Barber. Oh, wow. And to me. Well, that family, too, is unbelievable. Genetic freaks. But that back-to-back stretch where I think he went 1,200 yards and then like 1,300 yards, that, that was one of the more unique, most dominant stretches that I've seen from a Minnesota athlete. And, uh, yeah, I went to a camp with him, and I thought, can I see his birth certificate? How quickly, because how quickly did did you get to bail on that camp when you realized how over your head you actually were in that setting? <laughs> uh, not before a kid from Iowa knocked me in the next week. Oh no! Uh, in, a, in a drill, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, Mama, uh, these kids in Minnesota and Iowa, it's a different deal than Wisconsin. Our skill players are, are pretty good. Yeah, but these boys are hitting at this camp, and uh, Marion Barber was there, and I, I think he's on that top ten list. Did have a great NFL career, but I think he made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, One year, I, I believe he was. He played such an aggressive, physical style. Yeah, that he got beat up bad yeah, quickly. Yeah, and he had some issues after. Yeah, but I want to say for a short time period there in Dallas, right? That, yeah, that he was pretty good. Yeah, I think he. I think he made. He a just Pro Bowl. got beat to hell. I think he made a Pro Bowl. But that he, family special. and they're nice people. Oh. but that family, as far as athletes go, yeah, Marion and his wife. Wow, they've got some sons that can play sports. You wouldn't want to hear, hey, don't make me call my dad. Dom uh, was a great hockey player too, right? That's what Didn't I hear. Dom play yeah, ho- Dom hockey, played hockey at, too. Uh, Boyzetta? Yeah. They were a special mm-hmm. they were a special family. I saw that firsthand. Number 9, I am actually going to go with and some people might say well, he's not an athlete, but he is from here and he will be my representation for golf. Tommy Lehman. Oh yeah. Won, won a British Open. Uh, I saw him play enough. Now, I saw him play. I didn't see him play for the Gophers, but I saw him play as his uh, professional career progressed. And uh, you got to give a lot of credit to a guy who who is from here and eventually excels at that sport. So, number nine on my list, Tom Lehman. You got some great ones, man. Well, I started I started following sports in 78, so I'm old too, Myron. Well, no. That's part of the problem. You, you're young. You're young, so you've got the advantage of not having gray hair and seeing seeing these guys necessarily in their prime. I saw, in fact, I still, I, I go back to, I actually was such a sports geek as a kid in 81. I DVR'd. I VCR'd. Yep. 
Yankees Twins, and that was the game that Herbeck made his appearance as a twin, his first appearance. I think he pinch hit wearing number 26 wow. and hit a home run at the old Yankee Stadium off George Frazier. Oh. And I still remember having that on videotape. Really? Yes. I went and to you o- were a young man. You were probably born <laughs> around that time. I remember going to old Yankee Stadium the first time and just sitting there and basking in the moment of it all. Yep. It was just special. I love that place. Yeah, special. I love that place. All right, number uh, number eight on your list. I feel bad because Minnesotans aren't going to like it, but it did, this is just about what I saw. I saw the latter ha- the the second half of Dave Winfield's career. Uh, so you know, I didn't see necessarily prime Winfield. Yep. I saw some good years in New York. Yep. Um, but I didn't see the full package. Yep. But so number eight for me. Sure. Just based on what I saw, I'm not saying. I right. mean, he's probably the greatest athlete. Not just out of here, but maybe of all time, if you look at everything he did. Yep. Um, but for what I saw, he's eight for me. Drafted in baseball from the Gophers, and he yep. actually pitched here as well. Uh, drafted in uh, baseball, drafted, I believe, by the NBA and ABA, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Basketball, yep. And I also believe, if I am correct about this, Myron, that the Vikings drafted him despite the fact he never played football. Yep. I think he's the first player. And can you imagine him as a tight end? Oh, my goodness. Like, take that body in today's game? Scary. I mean, today he might have been. I mean, today, had he come up in this era, he might have been. I wonder what he'd stick with baseball today. I wonder what he'd... I wonder if he played basketball. I mean, he he, played basketball basketball and was great at it. I wonder if Dave Winfield was a young man today playing college sports, if he'd still go the baseball path or if he'd... I don't think he'd go football, so that's probably out. The flash of basketball might get him. Yeah. And the LeBron James types and he was who are, fantastic. And and I, I think he was a skilled enough athlete, too, that he could have played m- multiple positions. Yeah. Like, I think if you got your hands on him now, you'd he'd be doing a lot of different things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating that they let that guy, you know, play baseball and didn't unleash him to some of the other fields where he could have been just a monster. Number two. Number eight on my list from South St. Paul, a guy who was drafted uh, – in the top five of the National Hockey League draft by the Buffalo Sabres, straight out of South St. Paul High School, and was deemed to be, they called him the next one, to Gretzky, because yeah. he was so damn good, Phil Housley. That's yeah, a good pick. Phil Housley was, and now I didn't, I saw Housley, <laughs> I saw Housley very fleeting play in, in high school, and he had committed to the Gophers, and then Scotty Bowman took him early in the draft when he came out of high school, and so he went and played for Buffalo. But Myron, he was so good. He was so good that shortly into his career, he was playing defense, but they moved him up to center as well. I mean, he was, he was, and at that time, for a high school kid to do that, and I don't care where you're from, for a high school kid to step directly into the National Hockey League and be that good, he was off the charts. How dominant was he in high school? I mean, what would that, what would that have been like? Facing a guy like that. Impossible. I mean, that's just not even fair. Like, you just give up. He'd fly by you. You'd be like, see you, bye. Whatever. And and at that time, I mean, his skills, the fact that he stepped from South St. Paul to the Sabres, and the fact that Scotty Bowman saw that, like, this is all, at the time, you're like, what? What are you doing? And he was great. But I still, I, I remember a game... At the Met, where I want to say that they were shorthanded up front and they moved him from defense to center. Wow. So, number seven on your list. The one and only, the great Paul Molitor, who was a hero of mine growing up. I was going to say, your guy. In Milwaukee. I mean, so, 
I'm not very good. If you want somebody to criticize Molitor uh, with the twin, I'm, I'm the worst guy. Because I'm completely, the fan part of me is still there. Have a hot take. Come on, Myron. No, no, no. The fan, I, I should, right? But the fan part of me is still there. Call for his firing just once. Just for fun. <laughs> no one's listening right now. I played kickball with his kids, man, back in the day. Did which you was, really? Oh, yeah. Which was like, you know, being with royalty. His kid showed up at the YMCA one day. Daughter, right? Yeah, he's got a daughter and then, I want to say a son, too. We, okay. So we were all playing kickball one day at like really? the YMCA, man. We were, you couldn't have told us anything for the next month. We, we were the biggest stars on the playground. Oh, that's awesome. Paul Molitor definitely, though, for me, was a one of the heroes uh, growing up with the Brewers, and I saw some good years with him. Oh, man, could he hit. Yeah, that's he, another guy to me he where hit. he could fall out of a he, he could, could still, still do it. Yes. Could still do it. What what was the so you were probably very young at the time, but what was his hit streak that that he had where Rick Manning made the last out of a game and I want to say Paul was on deck, it was thirty nine games or something? I think it was thirty eight. Okay. I believe. Yeah. Um but, but Paul could and it was pure. It was pure. I mean, there weren't many things to cheer about with the Brewers at the time. Yep. But Paul was definitely one of the guys where you just you could have a sense of pride because he was on the roster. Number seven on my list, same sport, same city, okay. different guy. All right, Joe Mauer. Okay. Now, now this is where this is where it's about to get controversial yep. on my list because Joe, I think Joe could have been top five. I mean, yeah. keep, keep in mind, also a uh, quarterback in football, excellent quarterback who had signed to play at Florida State. Yep. Uh, a guy who was an excellent basketball player. I didn't 20 see a game, play, I believe. But yeah, but he he was an exceptional basketball player, and and a guy who has won three batting titles or did so as a catcher, which nobody it doesn't does. happen. So it's a bit controversial. He could be higher, but Joe Mauer is number seven. Is that mostly off baseball? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Yeah, That's I'm, not saying yes. I I thought I toyed with the idea of putting him. Higher based yeah. on on his exploits in high school, but I really didn't see those things. I just yeah. know about them. Uh, so and heck, you know what? If Joe had uh, kept catching right now and and was still was still going strong at the plate, he's definitely a top five. But Joe, I'm I'm going to hold the same thing that the HOF people are going to hold against Joe, yeah. which is I've seen the decline and fair or not right now. That drops him to number seven on my list. Number six. Number six is your guy, Joe Mauer. To me, for a lot of the same reasons. Um, Joe, before the injuries, special talent. And I even took into account some of the stuff in high school. Um, Which is fair. Yeah, I mean, he was You probably saw some high school. I saw some of them. I mean, he was a phenomenal, you know, even being in Wisconsin, you heard about Maurer and how special he was and how versatile he was. But you wonder what could have been had he stayed healthy and continued to progress. I wonder if the Hall of Fame, his biggest problem is going to be that a lot of these years have just been kind of forgettable. For I him. think that's a huge problem. I, I think I think his his Hall of Fame candidacy, Myron, would be in far better shape if he had said after the concussions, "I'm done." Yeah, and so he retires as, as one of the greatest hitting catchers, if not the greatest. Yeah, but one of the greatest pro- for sure of, of all time. Yeah, probably. which is why I think if you go to New York and play for the Yankees and win a World <laughs> Series title, the HOF people would, might come around on you. Number six on my list, Jack Morris. Another good one. Now, Royce, tells me the high school career was not great. Okay. Because I guess Jack Jack couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in high school. <laughs> as, I mean, his stuff was electric, but he might but he might throw it to the backstop. Uh, but, yeah, Jack is, when, when you look at the amount of success, and I will always be biased, 
because of Game 7, 91. Yeah. That will never change. Well, that's I was why he'll be a that, legend. I was at that game. He spent one year here. I don't care. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's take a break, come back with our top five. Once again, in honor of Lindsey Whalen retiring, it's our top ten Minnesota-born athletes that we saw. Zolgad and Metcalf back after this. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Packing order time. <laughs> we are, um, Myron and I are going through. Love, it's such a feeble sounding chicken. <laughs> uh, we're going through our top 10 Minnesota born athletes uh, that we saw. Lindsey Whalen, of course, retired yesterday. And um, one of the best that we've seen in this state. So. This is in honor of her. Uh, Myron's 6 through 10 are Joe Maurer, Paul Molitor, Dave Winfield, Marion Barber the third, and a former Cretan great Chantrell Henderson, who now is in the National Football League. My 6 through 10, Jack Morris, Joe Maurer, Phil Housley, Kent Her- er, Tom Lehman, and then Kent Herbeck. All right, so back to it, sir. Who is your number five on this list? Number five, you've got a great list, man, the Tom Lehman. I should have had him on mine. Uh, Khalid Alamein is number five. Here's oh, how I found out I about Khalid Elamine. one. I didn't include him. Yes, you're This is right. how I learned about him, Judd. Yeah. The best team in Wisconsin was a team called Milwaukee Vincent High School. Uh, they won three state championships in a row. Impossible to beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the Golden State Warriors of Wisconsin. D1 guys every year uh, would just destroy my high school. You could never make the state because of them. They played in some event against North, Minneapolis North, one yep. year. Yep. And I'm thinking, you can't beat Vincent. They're impossible to beat. Khalid Alamein and Milwaukee North beat Vincent by about 30 points. That's when I said, wait, what? Who, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And, and then when I had a chance to watch him, and the thing about Khalid Alamein is this. People forget this because he didn't play long in the NBA. He had a marvelous career overseas. He was making big money in Israel and Turkey. And that's a great gig, too. A really high league in yep. Europe. He was playing with the best of the best from playing as an eighth grader to who he became, Khalid Alamine uh, had arguably the greatest basketball career of anyone not named Kevin McHale to come out of this state. Now, you missed, you, you didn't uh, get here in time for when they made the high school tournament one class again, did you? They, they had a 16 team basically tournament. There was a. I think I missed that. Couple, and he played in that, and it was just fantastic. I would love to see that again. I loved way. it. I loved it. Instead of all these classes, oh. they just jumbled the whole thing together, and it was so much fun. And then, of course, they did it for like two years and said, okay, that's done. Go but it was to... just so much. But he, w- he was fun to watch. I'd love to see it. He was a fun p- player. And, and then, of course, in college, too. Yeah. At Connecticut, he was Won fantastic. a championship. All right. My number five is your number seven. Okay. Paul Molitor. I like it. I'm with you on the fact that this guy was a joy to watch it. And I, I think of all the things that... that people can do in sports if you choose individual attributes a guy who can just hit yeah because they make it look so simple like you're like oh that's not that hard to do yeah look at Rye Carew hit (laughs) I could hit you know Herbeck had a great swing changed his stance a lot but Molitor just a fantastic player and you know it's funny one of the first Twins games that my parents ever took me to at Met Stadium, I want to say, was July 4th of 1978, and Paul was a young player back then, and that's when he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, he had and, a lot of injuries early. Yeah, and if you go back and look, there was a long time there where there were questions about Paul, but I want to say, but I mean, he also was good enough that he moved from, what, shortstop to third yeah. to center field for a while, right? Yeah, we made a lot and of like moves. Second base as well. 
So, yeah, this guy was fantastic. So my number five is Paul Molitor. Pretty baseball. I remember a, a police officer gave me a Paul Molitor baseball cards when police officers used to do that. I don't know if they did that here. They did. But I, I completely forgot about it, but they I did. Got, I got a Paul Molitor baseball card. I don't want anyone to talk to me for about a week. Let me enjoy this. That's all it was. I mean, he was a hero growing up. I forgot about those days. You're yeah. right. Okay. Number four on your list. Larry Fitzgerald is number four for me. Uh, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald Jr. has, to me, been obviously a, a Hall of Fame receiver. About two years ago, there was some debate from some people. Oh, is he going to make it? Like, are you kidding me? He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And he's going to play another year and continue to climb the charts. But I think Larry Fitzgerald is... Uh, not just a great player, but a great representative. I'll give you a quick story. Mm-hmm. I'm at the Final Four in Arizona two years ago. Mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald Jr. is uh, sitting there with his dad, signing autographs for kids, sitting in the front row, being one of the guys. In walks Odell Beckham Jr. He's got five people with him, and he's wearing sunglasses indoors, and he's on the field just kind of basking in the moment of being Odell. And I was like, that's the difference between these two guys. Yes. Larry doesn't have to do that to draw attention. He just wants to play ball. Yes. And I love that about Larry Fitzgerald. And Larry's uh, camps that, that he did on campus here for years and years, I mean, that was the amount of star power that, that showed up there yeah. for basically impromptu workout sessions was so impressive because the respect given to him was off the charts. Yeah, he's got a lot of respect. And deserved, him. too. Yeah. But he worked. He... I think it's safe to say that Larry has taken no shortcuts. Like no, there's not nothing, one. There's nothing about him, to your point, that screams diva. And there's nothing about him where you're like, I wonder why he was so successful. Like everything he did, there were no shortcuts. Yeah. What about you? Number four on my list, Neil Broughton. I like him. Former North Star, um, former golfer. Neil Broughton, fantastic talent. Uh, he finally won a Stanley Cup, I believe, when he was traded from the Dallas Stars, unfortunately, yeah. to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, but Broughton was an eclectic player. Broughton yeah. was Broughton was great. Broughton was, once again, the early 80s featured, it didn't feature the first Americans playing pro, but it really featured the impact of those players. Oh. And, and we started to see guys like Housley and Broughton who weren't just good players, but they were difference makers. So... Neil Broughton from the State High School Hockey Tournament to his success with the Gophers to his success on the 1980 Olympic team to the North Stars is uh, is number f- uh, four on my list. Help me understand this, Judd. I never yes. know how to answer this when people ask me. How were the, the North Stars viewed compared to the Wild? I mean, what was the reception... Sure. How um, different was it? It was much different in the sense that at that time, and I, I think this is a reflection of the league. I think this is a reflection of sports at that time compared to now, and or certainly a reflection of ticket prices. It was much more blue collar. Okay. It was much more of a, I don't want to say hard drinking crowd, but a drinking crowd. It was much more of a blue collar crowd. You know, the, the wild, if you go to a game and if you take your family now, it's basically a mortgage payment. Yeah. Uh, the North Stars were not. So so there was there was a passion about the North Stars that was much different to me and much more blue-collar. The Wild now is a family event, yeah. and everyone's got their jerseys. It's not that people didn't have jerseys at that time, but it was a it was a very different climate in that arena than, than the climate that you get in uh, the X now. Makes sense. Number uh, three on your list. You know, I didn't even know this guy had been born, was born in Minnesota until really a few years ago. Uh, Terrell Suggs. Uh, Baltimore Ravens is a Minneapolis, Minnesota 
guy. I, I didn't I didn't realize he'd been born here. Um, Played with Joe Maurer at Creighton, right? Yeah, I, I had no idea until actually a couple of years ago. A buddy of mine told me about him. Uh, I went. I covered when I was working for ESPN the magazine as an intern in '04 when I was still at Mankato. Uh, they sent me to Baltimore Ravens training camp, and I had a chance to see him up close and Ray Lewis and just the whole team. Man, it was just a dream, man, to be around those guys. But you see that guy, and even at a young age, how he carried himself among those veterans. Yep. You could see who he's going to evolve into. You could see that he was going to become. That dude He's over a Hall time. Of Fame player now, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, the yeah. guy made the Pro Bowl at thirty-five. Yeah, I, I was going to say to your point. I don't think I found out that he he was from here until the last five years or so. Yeah, it's and recently. I, I didn't know that. In fact, I read a story that that he had played with Joe and that he and Joe were buddies, which I found to be hysterical because you can't find two more polar opposite human yes. beings, right? <laughs> yeah. Terrell Suggs, tough football player, and sort of milk toast Joe. Yeah, but I would love to trail along with them when they go up to the playground to say, "Hey, you, you want to play us?" Name the sport, because I'm guessing you would lose every time if you end up facing Joe Myron Terrell Sucks. Number three on my list, in honor of the person who who we're doing this for, Lindsey Whalen. Nice. Lindsey Whalen, and I, I told this to Collar on the show Monday, Lindsey Whalen to me is our Mark Messier. Because she's not, she's not only a great athlete and great player, she just wins. Yeah. I, there are not, <laughs> there's not a ton of people from this state like... Morris and Whalen, who elevate teams to championships, and she does that. She she took. I mean, you you know this. Taking the Gopher women's basketball team to the Final Four, and granted, that was a good team. I'm not saying yeah. it was all her. McCarvel's a very nice player, a very good player. But taking that program, being a part of that program, going to a Final Four, you know this. It's damn near impossible. Yeah, like they make the NCAA tournament ordinarily, and we're like, oh, this is fantastic. Her ability to elevate teams and to be the point guard on those teams and the leader and to go to a Final Four with the Gophers and then to come back here and play for the Lynx and they win, what, four championships? Yep. That is, it's Messier-like in the fact that she doesn't just change the game as far as, hey, it's nice to have some success. She wins you titles. Yeah. So she is number three on my list. I like that. I really like that. She deserves that spot. Number two on your list. Number two is the same person. Yep. Lindsay Whalen. Um, you know what she is, Judd? She's a great ambassador for the game. I remember seeing Lindsay Whalen in Maple Grove, Minnesota a couple years back, just after she'd won a title, like days after they'd won a title, at an AAU tournament. Yep. Just hanging out. Yep. Just hanging out, watching ball. You yeah. know? Not, not. Oh, she's a gym rat. Just hanging out, watching ball, and they just won the title. I just have a lot of respect for somebody who has not only won at those levels, but also given so much back to the game, mm-hmm. which is why I think she'll be a great coach. Uh, she she just, if you say basketball to the modern generation of Minnesotans, yep. Lindsey Whalen is the first name that should come up. When LeBron James gives you a shout out on Twitter, yes. which he did yesterday, you're special. The biggest compliment I can pay her is this. I watch her play or talk to her and I never think about gender. No, no, like, not at all. Like, like, I don't think, this is good for girls' basketball yeah. or women's basketball. Yeah. I think to myself, this is just a flat-out winning player. Yeah. This is a player that just wins. And I never watched her play and thought, oh, man, this is really going to help her gender in this sport. Yeah. I see her as a basketball player and a gym rat. Yeah, that's what she is. She's just a great basketball player. However, uh, for all the dudes out there at whatever gym who think they could take her on, I would love to see the Lynx oh. go up to one of these spots, you know, with... Earl and Joe on Saturday morning who think they can beat anybody in basketball. 
I'd love to see how that uh, would in go her down. prime point guard wise. Oh, she toasts. You think she? You think many, she toasts? There's a you. lot. There's a the majority oh. of guys who couldn't guard no. her. No, she was. And and the other thing that I respect about her is I don't think her. I don't think. I think her passion is this. I think she hates to lose more than anything. Like it's so cliche. We talk about competitor, right? Yeah. This athlete's a competitor, and this and this person loves to win. I think with her, and I think what sets the elite, elite, elite apart is it's not that they love to win; it's they how much they despise losing. Yeah, and, and I that's think her. she hates hates it, can't tolerate it. I agree. It's going to be ultra competitive. Number two on my list was your number four, Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, he's just a great player. I mean. It's one thing to be a ball boy for the Vikings and watch Chris Carter and Randy Moss and say, I'd like to be like them. It's another to have the skill to be like them. It's another to have the work ethic to be them. Yeah. And he combines those things. I, I mean, my respect for him is off the charts. Definitely. Because he very easily could have taken physical attributes and been a very nice player. But he continues to play well past the point when most people can because he works his butt off. He, he to me... Myron is Chris Carter without the fanfare of saying, look at me. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's Carter's good, that's like, a good comparison. I'm always training in Miami. You come to my camp, in my <laughs> Florida camp. And I always say, Chris, ultimately, this is about you. Yeah. Like, you love yourself, and I get that. Larry, like, adopted everything Chris did, but he didn't adopt the attitude of, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's a great comparison because Larry's never been about the flash. Even on the field. And he plays the position that, by the way, is always about the flash. Yes. Like, how many receivers are are as understated as him? And you see it in how people who match up against him, how many guys will knock him down and be quick to help him up? Or, or yeah. like, I mean, the response oh, on the field. Guys love being able to say they played Larry Fitzgerald. Number one on the Myron Metcalf list of uh, top ten Minnesota-born athletes that we saw. I'm an 80s kid. I mean, Kevin McHale... Uh, to me, revolutionized the the game for the power forward, uh, just with his footwork and versatility. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, you look at a guy who's playing against the Pistons and the Bulls and all these super athletic teams, and Mikel and Bird stood out. Yep, they didn't look like everybody else on the court. But when you saw him play, you said, "Oh, oh my goodness, this guy's from where in Minnesota?" So to me, Kevin McHale has to be uh, number one considering. All he achieved, who he was. The guy never averaged below double figures in a season, Judd. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Think about that. He was special. No, it's fantastic. My number one was your number eight, Dave Winfield. Okay. Dave Winfield has to be my top one because when you look at now, I started watching him in really not too much with the Padres, but when he went to the Yankees in 80 or so and was on the cover of SI, Dave Winfield's career was. Remarkable, And I'll never forget, I was watching a game. I was at the Metrodome. I had really good seats that day behind home plate. And he's at the plate playing for the Angels at the time. And here's this man holding a big baseball bat. I mean, he used a big bat. And it looked like a toothpick in the man's hands. <laughs> it was the scariest. I mean, he was twirling it around like I would twirl a toothpick. <laughs> I mean, that's how that's how intimidating yeah. he was. He had those big forearms. And, and his athletic ability was, yeah, off the charts. But, I mean... Again, this is a guy who could have played. He could have played football. To get drafted in a sport that you're not playing, scary. It's very scary. Yeah. So, all right, those are our top ten lists of Minnesota-born athletes that we saw play. Let's uh, take a break. Come back after this. The show is Mackie and Judd, Myron Metcalf, in for Phil. 
Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN. This Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. And Mackie and Judd right now is uh, Judd and Myron Metcalf. You can check out his work at ESPN.com. We've got some... Uh, some news out of Maryland, uh, potentially, to talk about in a second here. But I first want to uh, refer you to our website, sir. Okay. 1500ESPN.com, where uh, we have a story up that Byron Buxton, your guy, will be activated from the disabled list to AAA Rochester. And he will be active for tonight's game uh, between the Rochester Red Wings. And they are playing in Columbus. What is your feeling here? Uh, Phil and I and... I think across the board, we all agree. You got to get Byron Buxton back playing. Yeah. If I'm the Twins, I get him here in September, and I don't care about the results. I just get him here uh, to get some, some at bats. But the one thing that he you've got to do with with him coming off what's just been pretty much a lost 2018 is get him to winter ball. He's got he's got to be playing. Like you yeah. can't like you can't say let's hit the reset button in spring training. As far as I'm concerned, when he shows up for spring training, there needs to be a plan here, to your point, yeah. of how he's going to hit, what he's going to do. I don't want to start working again in spring training. I want it to be a continuation of what he's done in the offseason. I would be with you if I weren't so concerned about if you put him through winter ball, Judd, does he survive it health-wise? I mean, the <laughs> injuries. about that right now? I, I don't know what the solution is, and I think that's the problem. At the end of the day, I think the Twins have to do uh, something this summer that maybe they've been hesitant to do. You have to really, really understand his market value mm-hmm. this offseason. And then you got to say to yourself, if this happens again, how is his market value affected? Between now and then. I'm not saying you trade Buxton, but I am saying you do the research to know if this happens again, what are we losing? Do we have a better chance now to get someone of value? And that can really help us because there are still teams that are going to believe in Byron Buxton. The Twins do. But there are other teams that would say, give him to us. And once he turns 26, 27, 28, when a lot of guys begin to peak, begin to show that growth, we'll take them and we'll get the best of them. You've got to assess whether or not that's worth it. Because if you don't get him going early next season, yep, you have a problem. My thing is, you said this early on the show, Judd, what's the plan? What's the point? What yeah, it re, it exactly. reminds me of, remember when Tiger Woods was messing with his swing, yep. going back and forth, and everyone thought, you know, he'd fix. No. Sometimes you're messing up a guy when you do all these tweaks. So I think if you're the twins, you've got to figure out, okay, here's the plan, and we're going to stick with it. And we're not going to try anything. We're not going to do another tweak. We're not going we're going to stick with this and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we have to be prepared to part ways with Byron Buxton while he still has a lot of value. All right, this is going to sound really weird. Because when, when it comes to Snow, I'd be very tempted to to try and shop him and trade him. Yeah. But with Buxton, Myron, I'm almost to the point now where I think you have to go all in with him and do the best you can to get the results for your team. Like, I don't... I, I'm... I don't even think of him as a tradable commodity. I think of I think of him as can you turn him around for the Minnesota Twins? So I'm not even thinking in the way that you're saying. Yeah. And I, I, I get what you're saying completely. I've never even thought in that way because I've thought it's because 
Once again, he wants to succeed. I mean, this is not a troubled person. This is no, a guy, good guy. Yeah, a good guy who is competitive and wants to win and wants to succeed. And at the plate, unfortunately, mentally just is a mess. And I don't know if he can get it or not. But I guess my thought process is what gives you the best chance to turn him around for your team? Yeah. As opposed to, like with Sano, because the thing with Sano is... I think you got to sit him down and say, okay, what we did with you in June actually did work in, in some ways. You, yeah. You dropped 20 pounds. You yeah. looked a lot better. You can play some third base. Now, am I convinced that he's going to uh, maintain that during the offseason? Not really. But with Byron, I think he desperately wants to succeed. I, I think the plan has to be how do we, how do we give Byron one last or one potentially? No. Yeah. I don't want to be too dramatic here. How do you give Byron this shot to be as successful as possible? For, for the Twins, and if he busts, he just almost busts at that point without being concerned about does he have value to, let's say, the Dodgers or Yankees or Red Sox? I think uh, all that's valid, right? Because here's a guy who could dramatically improve here in the coming years. I, I haven't given up on him, and obviously the Twins haven't, but I just think you need to start thinking of what if this happens again? If you get another year like this he where he's right, not yeah. healthy and he's not hitting, yep. You don't want to get into a position, Judd, where I understand your worst-case scenario. If he's a 27-year-old batting 290 for the Dodgers and helping them win the series, and now you never get over that if you're a Twins fan, mm-hmm. I get that. But if he's a 28-year-old hitting 190, can't get on base, pinch runner, and now the injuries have plagued his speed, and now he's not who he was defensively anymore, Yep. now you miss your window to trade him. Oh, you, sure. You've got to— I am almost not— con- Okay. I think you have to, if he's going to be injury-prone for the remainder of, of his career, if he just can't stay healthy, I think you say, all right, he couldn't. But I think you gotta, I think you got to send him. You have to take the chance that he's going to get hurt in the offseason playing win- winter ball. I mean, I would send him, ideally, I'd send him right to the Florida Instructional League. Yeah. Like, I need to, I want my best people working with him as much as possible. Let me ask you this. If he weren't a good guy, if you weren't such a good guy, mm-hmm. would that change how you felt? Absolutely. Okay. If I thought he didn't give a damn, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, and that's the difference with Sano, right? I don't I'm think Sano's a bad guy. No, no, but I don't but think people think he get it. I don't think people think he he cares. Yes. People don't think Sano cares. I agree with that. They think Buxton cares a lot. He's yes. just not seeing the results. Yes. And Buxton has a set of skills that if you could get even a 265 hitter, yeah. the set of skills is so special. Like, I can tell you what Sano is, and I'm. Believe me, I take it in a heartbeat. Yeah. But ideally, Snow can play third base, and he's going to hit a ton of home runs, and he's gonna—he's still going to strike out a lot. I've—I've I've seen him before, yeah. and listen, he can be an all-star, so I'm not downplaying that. Byron Buxton brings you things that you ordinarily don't see. True, the ability to make—I mean, there are balls that poor Jake Cave is diving for left and right and falling flat on his face and missing that Byron Buxton never dives for because he catches them standing up. True, there are bases to be stolen that beyond belief. By Byron Buxton. Yeah. I mean, if you could just get him... I mean, that's that's why I'm so frustrated by this. Let's go back to the leg kick, because that could give him... I don't care if, if he has power. He can he's got to be consistent. He can hit four home runs as far as I'm concerned. All I want him to do is get on base. That's the biggest thing. And if the home runs come, great. Because he can do damage. Yes. But, he, it, but in a special way. Like, he gives, he gives you the type of potential weapon in your lineup that most teams don't have. But how long are you going to tell me that there's buried treasure in my backyard? I know. And if I just keep digging, I'll find it. That's how it feels with him. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. 
Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You go low, I'll go high. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Tune in tonight at 6 p.m. for the Adrian Heath Show uh, presented by Heineken. Every Tuesday, Jamie Watson and Adrian Heath will be breaking down Minnesota United FC, MS Soccer, and more right here on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackey and Judd today, Zolgad, Myron Metcalf, ESPN.com. Give... Us the news that you told me off the air about what's going on at uh, University of Maryland today, because this is interesting stuff. Yeah, Maryland uh, President and Athletic Director Damon Evans are holding a 1 p.m. Central press conference. Uh, DJ Durkin, if you haven't followed the news, uh, Jordan McNair, a young man, died of uh, exhaustion and heat stroke in May after a workout. Uh, The family is, I don't know if they've officially filed a suit, but they got a lawyer. There's a big story on ESPN this weekend uh, about there being this culture of essentially pushing kids too far. I read the story and it's inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, and we had talked earlier about you know Aaron Rodgers and softness. This is something. I mean, this oh, yeah. is a, a guy being accused of throwing weights at players to motivate them. Yep, forcing kids to eat until they can't anymore. And DJ Durkin is the head coach until they throw up. Yeah, it's just too much. Uh, it's on administrative leave, and now they announced a one p.m. press conference, Judd. You and I have been in business long enough to know when they call a press conference on a Tuesday afternoon, oh, about three weeks before the season is set to start. It's not a vote of confidence? It's not not to say, hey, everyone, welcome DJ Durkin back to the mix. Uh, We talked for a few days. It's clearly to probably fire him. And I understand why you make that move. It is so sad that after what we all saw years ago now with Corey Stringer, that we had another kid die under the exact same circumstance, basically. I mean, what Corey, listen, that day was awful, and that whole thing was absolutely awful. But you would have hoped to God that everybody who has anything to do with football, and a lot of teams did, would have looked at that and said, never again, right? Like, there's no excuse for it. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse to work someone in the heat to that point. Like, there's nothing where you could be like, well, we just thought we could push it a little bit, right? So you would have hoped that that day in Mankato, as awful as it was, that the one good thing to come from that would have been, whether it be high school football, and I I know it's happened since, but high school, college, or pro football, that you would never have that again, that there would be no excuse for that. Yeah. And for that to happen is just sickening. I wonder why, to your point, Judd, in 2018, why there isn't a list of standards of what you can and can't do in practice. Well, and to me, in 2018, it's basically criminal. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's not yeah. a, well, I messed up. My strength coach messed up. No, you it's, know. You, you are a Division One college football program. You have trainers on staff. You have athletic yeah. trainers. There's you, ha- you have the ability, and it might cost you a little bit more, but you have the ability to have players swallow pills that allow you to monitor their body core temperature. Bingo. To have a kid die under your watch during a football practice is not a mistake. It's criminal. Yep. You should be prosecuted. You should not be fired. I agree. It, it should not happen. No. And, and and the whole excuse of we got to insert a new culture. We've got to separate the weak from the strong. Well, you hear a lot of coaches say that stuff. Yep. And that's the problem. Is we give them too much autonomy and authority to do whatever they want to do. Yep. And then stuff like this happens and we go, oh my goodness, how on earth could this happen? Yep. In fact, let, let's uh, talk about this next. Let's talk about the difference because there is a difference between what Rogers was talking about. There's a difference between yes. soft and stupid. We'll discuss that next. Mackie and Judd is the show. Myron Metcalf, ESPN.com, and for Phil. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Dokley. On 1500 ESPN.